0: We are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by
1: hippos than anything else.
0: Whether it's one state over.
1: I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail.
0: Or halfway around the globe. This fantastic high desert, you watch the sky at
1: night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If
0: the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. When Stephen Fabes left his job as an emergency room doctor and set out to cycle the world frontline medicine quickly faded from his mind. The daily challenges of life on the road stacked up as he navigated deserts, mountains, freezing weather, and the overwhelming solitude of cycling solo. Fabes recounts his journey around the globe in his new memoir, Signs of Life, A Doctor's Journey to the Ends of the Earth. He crossed six continents traveling 53,000 miles over a six-year period. I asked why he chose to leave his lucrative career And take to the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a big decision, really, because I was really enjoyed my job. I was at the end of my twenties, living in London, and I think there was just a sense that I was longing for a bit of an adventure. I don't think there was anything more complicated than that. So I remember it being quite a difficult decision. But then thinking, I don't know, maybe just approaching my thirties, there was this sense of time moving faster, maybe, and just feeling like I needed to get away. And and I kind of just wanted to. to see the world really, and and knew that I'd be working as a doctor. I, I never thought I'd give up my job as a doctor. I loved it. Um, and but knew I'd be doing it for a very long time. So I just I felt this was this was a sort of now or never moment, really.
0: It blew my mind that you didn't really do any physical preparation for it. You just kind of hopped on your bike.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it was. I did very little um, physical preparation at all. I just most I did do some planning for the trip, but mostly looking back, a lot of that stuff was pointless, really. It was kind of like some of it was obsessively researching kit and trying to get sponsors and stuff like that. But um, I didn't plan the route in much detail and I didn't do any any training. And I, I just figured I'd get fit as I went. My attitude at the time was I've got a lot of cycling to do, so why do any more? And um, <laughs> that made the beginning quite difficult. So I was, I was really a bit of a city boy when I, when I left and um, I had all kinds of problems with my knees and uh, I was, yeah, I struggled. And it was, I left in a very cold winter as well. I think it was the coldest in 31 years in Western Europe. So it was a difficult start, but that was my own fault, really. I could, I could have made it easier on myself had mm-hmm. I actually done some training.
0: <laughs> what challenges other than weather in January did you come upon in your first couple months to years?
1: Lots of challenges. I think one of the first ones, I suppose it's a bit of a double-edged sword, but just that spending a lot of time on your own. And before that I had friends in London and things and and I had um, when I left on the trip, I was suddenly had all this time. To begin with, it felt quite luxurious to have all this time to kind of ponder things and you know and daydream. And after a while, that became more difficult. And you just kind of get stuck in the same thoughts sometimes and, and you, you miss people a lot. And in some places in particular, I spent a lot of time on my own, especially places like Mongolia, where I could go weeks without a conversation. So um, it was difficult, but it, that was just part of the adventure, really. I, th- I think I thought of that as a price you sort of had to pay. Um, I did have friends join me for little sections of the journey, so that much it made it much easier. Um, so I think that was yes. Yeah, apart, apart from the weather, that was one of the the toughest things. I think just, that it's just all that all that time on my own and to kind of trying to uh, yeah to get through the day really sometimes.
0: It might be the American in me, but everybody's reaction to you it was jarring for me as somebody mm-hmm. who grew up in New York and you don't you don't go into strangers' homes. Um, yeah. <laughs> What was it like to um, kind of have that community aspect on the road?
1: It's amazing. That, that's very much the same in Britain as well. I think there's. I, I always assume that there's this kind of sense of um, you know British reserve and stuff like that, and, and people aren't maybe as open. But actually, you know, that's not true. And as soon as I'm on, on a bicycle, and if you're looking like you might be in trouble, people are always you know come to your aid and offer places to to sleep. And that happened in in Britain as well, actually, on my second night on the road. It happened in um, almost all of the 75 countries that I travelled through that I would get some kind of offer of food or somewhere to sleep. And sometimes not just people's homes, but I was allowed to sleep in the local police station or church or mosque or monastery or uh, hospital or school. So it was a really important theme of my trip. It sort of reminded me i suppose of lots of the things how connected we all are and how similar we all are i know that can sound a bit trite but i think that's that's certainly the big lesson that i came home with really um i think when you're cycling through places and staying in people's homes you're reminded of how similar sort of everyday life is around the world um and actually i think medicine reminded me of that as well as a doctor when you're hearing people's stories and uh, you see a lot of parallels between different people's lives as well. So, but um, yeah, so the hospitality was key. Was it, it kept me going, and it reminded me that you know the world is a lot friendlier than sometimes we're, we're led to believe it is.
0: So, you practiced medicine on the road?
1: I didn't practice medicine on the road. I really was visiting remote medical projects, often those serving marginalised people or communities, and. Um, I was there really to observe and I was I wanted to write a bit about what I saw um, and I wanted to think about how there were p- parallels between these different medical projects and my own work in the NHS as well but um, I didn't I didn't feel it was appropriate to be working only because I was only there as a really fleeting visitor I wasn't there for very long so um, I, I couldn't you know give it yeah the, the, you know Devote the time to kind of understanding some of the the situations on the ground in depth, and so so um, I was yeah I was visiting these projects firstly as a as a way to satisfy my own curiosity, and then afterwards um, I think to invest a sense of purpose in my journey I suppose, and also to, to 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 write about the experience.
0: I wanted to discuss the monk that you found in the Himalayas, and mm-hmm. how that recentered your. Drive for your profession.
1: So, the background to this, I suppose, I should explain, is that there was a, uh, a storm in the in the Himalayas on the Annapurna circuit, which is a very popular trekking route. Me and my friend Mike were planning to cycle this route, and as we got higher, there was a heavy snowfall, and no weather warnings had been communicated to anybody on the circuit. And this was really unseasonal because this was, this was the, the, the dry season and there was lots of people out on the trail and and sadly, uh, I think almost 50 people died uh, either in the in the snowfall or in avalanches. And um, me and Mike had left our bikes at a guest house and we kind of continued on foot and we came across the, um, the body of a, a monk who's frozen in the snow. It made me reflect a lot on how I become a little bit probably a bit inured to death maybe I mean I think that doctors and nurses do a lot of things to try to distance themselves from the reality of um, some of the sort of pain and sadness that you witness as a medical professional I'd done that quite a lot when I was working as a doctor Um, on a sort of basic level sometimes you'd hear doctors and nurses saying you know bed five is a, a pneumonia or you know bed six is a seizure, and so sometimes people are not even using patients' names. And it's, I think, as a sort of strategy of self-protection, really. And I think that um, it's also kind of a way to help you get your job done. And I think if you were sort of empathising all the time, I think that would make things very difficult. And when you see something like a tragic accident or death outside the hospital, it kind of brings brings it all home sometimes you feel a bit divorced from that reality sometimes when you were working in the emergency department so um yeah it was it was quite a shocking experience um and yeah it's definitely something that's kind of lodged in my memory from the journey and it's it was just a, a very sad situation really that this a lot of this could have been avoided had warnings been been communicated to the trackers on route
0: what if you can sum it up, was your favorite part? What country struck you the most? What surprised you?
1: I always felt very drawn to countries that were just extremely different to, to my own. And, and and often that was because they'd had a, some sort of history of, of isolation. Or And so I think Myanmar, I remember very clearly just because it felt very different. And I think that's what travel is sort of obsessed with otherness isn't it and about difference and about trying to find new the, the excitement of being in different landscapes and amongst different cultures um and i found the same in, in places like ethiopia and mongolia as well but actually i think as i as i got around the world i started becoming more interested in in commonalities and some of the the ways that different places were similar um and uh, because i mentioned before that that sense that there's much we've got much more in common than than separates us. And that 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 was definitely the 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 lesson that I took from this whole trip. But I think um for that sense of adventure, for for this being in a place that is completely like nowhere else I've experienced, I think those places sort of remain in my memory. And I think places like Myanmar were only really just opening up to tourists when I was coming through. Um, and you can get to quite remote parts of Mongolia, and Ethiopia is just a really sort of strange and very exciting place as well. So, um, so yeah, I guess I guess those places.
0: What type of political boundaries did you come across? I mean, I'm thinking of you went through Tajikistan.
1: Yes, um, that was a really interesting one because you're riding the the, the, the Wakhan Corridor, so you're riding along the border. Uh, by the river, and on one side of the river is Tajikistan, on the other side Afghanistan, and they've two countries that have had, you know, very different fates, really. And Afghanistan has been, you know, weathered by Islamic extremism and conflict, and for for more than thirty years. And on Tajikistan, there were tourists and ice cream parlors and places to stay, and four by fours and and it they just they seem to be a real stark contrast between the two places but these were people on both sides of the border um that shared the same ancestors and spoke the same language Um, and it was colonial powers which is russia and britain who had you know drawn this divide as a as a way to sort of mark the divide between their respective empires so It was quite shocking really and a reminder that these borders are just they're not you know they're often argued to be in some way rational or natural but of course they're not at all and there's there's no real sort of natural border and um, it can be quite jarring i think especially because as a cyclist you're moving through the world you feel this kind of very slow transition you watch the the foothills turn into mountains. One valley kind of flows into the next, and you get this very strong sense that everything's a bit blurry. That, we, that sort of we live in a quite a blended world, and when you come up against an international border where the countries are quite different on each side, and that 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 is quite jarring, and um, it sort of uh, yeah it reminds me of how strange that concept is of sort of lines on the map and, and that how um, that can really affect the fortunes on both sides of the divide.
0: Is there anything else that you would like to add that I may have not touched on?
1: One of the um, the things I suppose I took from the journey as well was this sense of of how much i missed my job and it was very much a I was reminded of of how important my job as a doctor is to me and I think that visiting a lot of these medical projects like, sort of pushed that home and yeah I'd spent a long time out of my profession and it was quite difficult coming home as well. It's, I was away for more than six years but yeah. it was uh, but, but rejoining my job was one of the highlights I think um, even though you know being back in, in ordinary life was sometimes quite difficult and I was you know, shopping in supermarkets and Accidentally trying to change gear on the shopping trolley and the, that kind of thing. So sometimes it was, uh, sometimes it was quite, quite, uh, quite hard to sort of reintegrate. But
0: was it hard to reintegrate with friends and family?
1: Yeah, I mean, I miss people a lot. So that was one of the great things about coming home is to be reunited with everybody and get that sense of familiarity. And you realise that people haven't changed hugely, which is which is really reassuring. And that uh, they're still the same. And you, hopefully, yours kind of still fundamentally the same as well. But um, <laughs> I don't think it was very difficult to be around people who knew me, but I think that having spent such a long time alone, it was sometimes difficult to being in large groups of people. And that's just a side effect really of spending too much time on my own. Yeah. I think you can kind of, we think of ourselves as introverted or extroverted, but I think actually that's quite fluid. And and, and the more you, you are on your own, the sort of, the more introverted you become. And I became probably a little, you know, pulled back into myself a little bit when I came home but yeah I, I feel a bit more sort of socialized now and sort of <laughs> glad to be amongst friends and family again and I feel like I, I wouldn't want to go off on a journey like that and spend so much time on my own in the future I think I feel like I've done that put up to bed and um, just would rather be part of a community and and working in the hospital and and um, that's the kind of new adventure I guess.
0: Are you looking to go back to any specific country to explore more?
1: I've got a an eye on I'd like I mean the US actually is somewhere that I'd love to spend more time because I'd only spent time on the west coast and I'd love to to it's there's so much there that I'd need to d- delve into and I've got really into running at the moment so I was kind of half thinking about doing some long run across the US. Um, but it's not a very practical way to travel so <laughs> you have to sort of carrying all that stuff on your back is going to be quite difficult um, and a trolley is the other option I mean there was always the other side of each continent the other side of Africa uh, I spent most most of my time on the east side to so the west of Africa I didn't spend much time on the east side of South America so that would be a place to go to as well but that's the one of the things you come home with this sense of how vast the world is once you've traveled around it on a bicycle and there's Now, I think perhaps more places I'd like to visit than there was when I left, just because you spend so much time with maps and you're just constantly thinking about all the places you'd like to go, but you don't have the time or you don't have the visa. So, yeah, I've got a huge wish list of places I'd like to go, but I I wouldn't want to go away for a journey like that. It's such a long sort of journey again in the future, but um, there's certainly lots of other places I'd like to go to, yeah.
0: We've been speaking with Dr. Stephen Fabes. His book, Signs of Life, A Doctor's Journey to the Ends of the Earth, is now available and published by Pegasus. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. And as always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit WAMCPodcasts.org for more information. If you'd like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at WAMC.org.